What's up, everyone, and welcome to The Corporate Bartender. We're going to have some fun today. Our guest is a communications coach, leadership expert, and my morning jacket super fan. He loves Pearl Jam as well. Be sure to check out the art behind him in the video. Today, we're talking all about leading with authenticity. We're going to take a look at a simple yet powerful framework for your messages, and our own Lori Lance is going to get coached in real time. Tim Fortescue is on the program today. He's the founder of 40 Watt Coaching, is a former basketball coach, and he reminds me a little of Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. This conversation was killer, and I think you're going to dig it. So buckle up, DC beers, grab your favorite cocktail, and let's get right on into it with Tim Fortescue on today's TCB. Welcome to Sky Team's The Corporate Bartender, where we gather some of the best HR and people leaders to discuss what's happening on the people side of business. Now pull up a stool, belly up to the bar, and join us for The Corporate Bartender. Uh, what do you think, Lori? Should we get into it? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Welcome, everybody. It is good to see you all. It is your favorite day and mine. It is Wednesday. That means it's Corporate Bartender Day. It is the 11th day of December, episode oh. number 184, or the 184th time we've convened this group of awesome people, and I'm excited. Today, we've got a guest. His name is Tim Fortescue. He is the founder of 40 Watt Coaching, and we're going to be talking about leading with authenticity. We're going to talk about left and right brain communication, and we might even do some impromptu on-the-fly coaching, leveraging Tim's framework and Lori or one of the other folks who may be willing to jump into the pool. Lori's our standby right now, unless somebody else is really interested in doing something <laughs> crazy and live with the caveat that I can edit it all out too and show cat <laughs> videos during that section. Which... Uh, well, I'm, I'm very nervous because it says leading with authenticity. And if we hadn't already proved that we bring our authentic self <laughs> to this session, <laughs> Uh, for those of you that weren't here in the green room, we talked about tapeworms and leeches just to give you a little heads up as to what goes on behind the scenes here at the bartender. We've got some upcoming guests. I'm not going to bore you with very many because they're going to happen after the holidays, except for this guy, Jeff Skipper. He's going to be with us next week on December 20th. He's the author of Dancing with Disruption. Leading dramatic change during global transformation. And that seems pretty interesting. He's got a, a book, and on the cover of his book is a it's like a paper boat being lifted by a balloon across two giant waterfalls. I thought the image was fun and he looked mm -hmm. interesting. So we're gonna talk to Jeff about disruption. But today, today is Tim Fortescue. He's the founder of 40 Watt Coaching, as I said. We're going to dig into some of this communication stuff today. But, Tim, we didn't tell you on the pre-show, but everybody's got to dance in. So let's give them a good TCB welcome, shall we? Everybody dances in. Hey, Tim, how you doing? Thanks for being with us today. I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. All right. Well, you know, we are always interested in the backstory. So I imagine that when you were a little kid, you didn't say, I can't wait 
to grow up so that I can be a communications coach. <laughs> How in the world did you get here? Tell us a little bit about your journey that led you to be with us here today. I didn't think I wanted to be a communication coach, but relatively young, I realized I wanted to be a coach of some type. And because what I knew as a younger person was basketball sports, that became the thing that I thought I fixated on. Like I thought I'm going to be a coach for a living and I'm going to be, I'm going to be one of those coaches on TV who coaches at universities and, you know, is on like TV. Bobby Knight, you're going to throw the chair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe coach K. It may be more on the coach King, Bobby Knight side, <laughs> Tom Izzo, I'm from Michigan. And um, it, that didn't work out. I realized that's that's almost as hard to break in as kind of like going to Hollywood and trying to be an actor that actually makes a living. And it it didn't pan out, but I really tried. And I, I tried to find different ways into it. Ended up being a high school coach for several years, more than a decade. Oh, right on. While I had a day job and the day job wasn't, you know, the day job was like a real job. You know, I had, I worked at Eli Lilly as a pharmaceutical sales rep. And as I look back on that, I was like, wow, what I was doing was adapting to my audience 10 times a day or however many different customers I saw with different sales messages. And then I was doing it at night with, you know, with practice would start at seven o'clock at night. And I was adapting my message to try to engage teenagers to keep them engaged Oof. in, um, yeah, in, in practice. <laughs> So it started, you know, the notion to coach came early, but then it sort of weaved its way to where I am today. Right cool. on. Well, yeah. you, you founded your own consultancy. Tell us a little bit about how that came to be. What was the impetus for saying, I'm going to go do this on my own? Well, it started like many entrepreneurial stories. It started with a, a bad break. And that was, I was working for a tech company and lost my job. In, in 2020 in the beginning mm -hmm. and as many people know when you go through that it, you you question yourself and you feel rejected and all the feelings mm -hmm. i know coach clients that are going through it and um I, part of picking myself up was realizing that i know what i want to do i actually don't want to go back and apply for that type of job again because i quite honestly i was doing things i wasn't really good at and not enjoying myself that much I knew what I was good at, and that's coaching people. I got good at coaching communication because a job before that, I worked for a firm that was global, and I got to go around and teach people public speaking or different communication tactics, and, and I loved it. So I, I wanted to go back to doing a version of that, my own take on it. I got really clear about the kind of things I wanted to do, and then I, I jumped in. But to answer your question directly, I jumped in with the fire behind me of, I have no income anymore. <laughs> I just lost my job. My pride hurts. Uh, can I actually do this? And then we, oh, by the way, we just had our second child in 2020. So there was a newborn baby at home too, to fuel me. That, that'll add to the fire for sure. Mm -hmm. Yes. For sure. And, and teenage coaching, teenage basketballers. Um, are you still doing that? I, when I got deeper into communication coaching, the travel was just too much, too much. I remember just a quick, a quick story. And I remember, um, I was still a head coach of a high, of the local high school where I lived at the time I was in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Mm -hmm. And I was also moonlighting as a communication coach that traveled all around. And I remember being in the, like the green room type of area at this big event at Twitter 
And I was about to go in and coach, I don't know, 50 to 60 leaders in, in engineering. And I'm, t- I'm getting texts from my assistant coach who's back in that harbor <laughs> as I'm in the Bay area saying, Hey, we can't, no one can find the key to get into the gym. We got, what do we do? And I was like, I'm panicking about like, how do I let my team into the gym as I'm about to go on in front of 50, 60 people in Silicon Valley. And I was like, I, I'm laughing about it now, but it was heart wrenching to leave coaching basketball. Cause I loved working with my players, the kids, but it stopped around uh, 2015 was my last season. Right on. Yeah. Right on. Well, one of the hooks for 40 watt coaching coaching is this concept of leading with authenticity. And that really captured my attention when I was looking through your materials, um, because we talk a lot about, well, obviously in the pre-show, we talked about our authentic selves and how we show <laughs> up. Um, but we talk a lot about that here at the bartender and in both mine and Lori's professional lives, this notion of your authentic self. What is leading with authenticity from your point of view? Well, I take it from the communication angle. And so if you think about who your favorite communicators are, both the public figures and people that you've worked with, for me, I tend to think about it's the people that there's a realness to them. You know that what they're saying, you you get like what they're saying is real. They really believe it. They feel it, whether that's good or bad. And I, on the other end of the spectrum could be somebody who is technically fantastic at communication. They've worked on all the stuff that I I might've taught them, but there's just something, there's some disconnect in terms of realness or authenticity. There's, there's a feeling that's lacking behind it. And you can probably think of people, um, people that, that fit that category. So to me, it like leading with who you really are sounding like you're familiar with your audience as you communicate. That's what I think is the pinnacle of great communication. It's how do we do that? And then as I've gotten deeper into coaching people on this topic, I realized that there's lots of reasons why people don't do that. It's fun. It's scary to be vulnerable. Yeah. It's scary to be yourself in like tense situations. And so we sort of build these walls up in lots of ways, but including how we communicate. Yeah. It's funny when you, when you were talking, it was making me think, yeah, I've been on the receiving end of some of those messages from folks who they ticked all the boxes, right? They watched their ums and ahs and their, and their crutch words. And what they said was delivered technically well, but I just didn't buy it. Mm-hmm. Like, what are those things when you're coaching someone and someone comes to you and says, this is my problem. Like, where do you start in diagnosing that, that sort of lack of authenticity or the coming across is not, not fully there, not fully baked, not all in. It's hard when I, to diagnose that from my perspective, because I'll get somebody coming to me directly and I'm getting their own opinion on what they need <laughs> right. to work on. And mm-hmm. I can see Laurie nodding her head, you, you know, yeah. being in HR, you know how that is where mm-hmm. you, you know, mm-hmm. you're getting one perspective of many. So if I'm lucky, I get feedback from a manager or from some someone in HR, someone else in the business or, or several, sometimes I'll get a 360 and then I can look at it and see, okay, here's the feedback. But either way, what I'm working on is spending some time discovering who this person is when they're feeling the most confident, when they're feeling the most connected, hmm. how do they sound when they're talking to someone they trust? And then how do they sound when they're tense? 
And if I can get two versions of how they communicate or, or more than two now, okay, now we can dive into how do we bring out more of the way you sound, the way you show up when you're comfortable. Mm-hmm. And, and the way I do that is I usually start off with a quick baseline exercise where I have people record themselves on their smartphone, or I do that for them. And I give them two easy tasks, but they, they tell a lot. The task number one is I usually have them record themselves talking about their number one priority at work. Like, here's my top priority. Here's the the North Star. And they tell me about that for 30 seconds, and then we watch it back. And we usually see serious. We usually see, sometimes people call themselves robotic, uh, less passion. Mm -hmm. Then I have them record a second clip. And the second clip is about, I want them to just talk about somebody in their life that they love. Oh, or somebody they're really fond of, or somebody important, a significant other, a best friend, a family member. I've had people even talk about their pet. And what we see when we watch that 30 second clip back is something totally different. We see somebody connecting emotionally. We see what I think is a deeper level of their authentic voice. And now we can quantify, we can point to two different data points, like this is work voice right now. And then this is storytelling voice or deeper authentic voice. And then we can start from there. I, l- I love the idea of, of storytelling voice. Um, you mentioned the word vulnerability earlier. And uh, it's <laughs> we talk a lot about vulnerability in, in the book that Ruby and I were, were part of writing. Um, it's one of the pillars of the model in that book. And we talk a lot about this, this idea because, especially in American business, right, we are socialized to believe that being vulnerable is being weak and leaders, especially, you know, further up the food chain, C-suite leaders. um, A lot of, a lot of the leaders that we've worked with over time are super worried about coming across too vulnerable um, because they don't want their credibility to be damaged without realizing that letting your guard down and showing up authentically, um, is kind of where the magic happens. So when you're coaching someone who is wrestling with this idea of letting their guard down and becoming more vulnerable, like what are, what are the things that you get them to do to start to become comfortable with that idea? Well, first step is for them to get vulnerable with me. And that's part well, of paying the, you. So they should, paying, yeah. <laughs> you'd be surprised. Actually, you probably wouldn't, but I, I have people that show up and the mask stays on for weeks, you know, really? hour, hour after hour, because they're so disconnected sometimes from the, their inner self, mm-hmm. they're disconnected to themselves in a way that so much so that they don't understand. They don't realize that how disconnected they are. And it's not, that's not like a small subsection of humanity right now. I think that's a yeah. lot. A lot of people show up and there's just a, a blind spot, a gigantic blind spot, but they get vulnerable with me. And I, I do it through asking questions and uh, designing the way that we're going to work and challenging them to, to get there. But then when we get to something that I think is interesting or useful for uh, bringing into work, I'll stop them and say, you know, that's an interesting story. You just told me, does anybody, you know, at work mm-hmm. know about that? Wow. And is there okay. a version that is there a version you could bring? It like maybe you don't have to say it the same way, the full 100% vulnerable way with me, but is yeah. there like a two thirds vulnerable that you yeah. could bring in at work? And then people usually start to nod their head and yeah, I, I think I could do that. Mm-hmm. 
Does it ever help people to kind of like you did, right? Where you think about somebody that you felt was that came across to you as authentic and at, mm. and and vulnerable because that's I think that's an interesting per- perceived thing. We feel like if I'm vulnerable, that shows weakness. But when I see other people being vulnerable, I think of them as being courageous, right? So does that ever do, you know, are you ever able to kind of get people across that vulnerability thing by recognizing how they perceive others that they've seen be vulnerable? It's a really good point. And I think I'm just realizing this now. I had never thought about this quite that way that Lori put it. it, it but look at the testimonials on my website. Mm-hmm. And those are some of the, obviously the clients I've worked with, a, a handful of them. But I think across the board, they are that person. Mm-hmm. They are the person that's a vulnerable leader. I happen to think those people do really well in coach executive coaching too. Those people show up with the vulnerability and they're open. Right. But Here's a way that that has to Lori's question. Here's a way that that has played out in conversa- multiple conversations I've had with people. They tell me that as a, I've, I've just become a VP and I don't think I'm a good leader. Mm-hmm. Why do you think you're not a good leader? It's well, it's because I feel like I know what a good leader looks like and they do X, Y, Z. And I have this one type of person in mind and I'm not that person, mm-hmm. I'm not that way. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Hmm. And so we start to identify, oh, well, what about it is this, you know, and the yeah. further we get, it's that someone's describing someone else. And yeah. what's cool is that you can be exactly who you are, just own it, like step into it more courageously. Yeah. And then that sort of reshapes what other people think is a leader mm-hmm. because you're the VP and you're the one who's comfortable with your own flaws and your own style and what makes you unique. And there's this whole other swath of people that are looking at you thinking, Oh, that's what leadership could look like. It's when that happens, that's really fun. That's cool. Yeah. Tim, do you see any correlation between people coming to that reality and the age of the person? Ooh. I mean, I, yeah, I think the younger they are, the the harder this is sometimes. Uh-huh. You know, the younger people I work with, it's there's that's usually I, I, a lot of the clients I've had in the past few years since I started are at this inflection point. They're uh, maybe a senior manager to a director or a director or senior director to VP. And there's this giant leap they've got to make in the way they perceive themselves. And so then there's imposter syndrome and there's a lot of comparison of themselves to these other people that have been doing it for 10 years. And yes, I, Laurel, I think that does play out Mm -hmm. with some of my younger clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you mute me or did I, I mute me? You did it. It's all you. <laughs> well, it still shows me as muted. But anyway, then you get to the point like Eric and me where you're old enough where you just don't give a damn. <laughs> <laughs> Notice she didn't include you in that, Lori. It's just me and Laurel. <laughs> no, it's I true. I like Lori. <laughs> oh, ouch. Ouch. So, Tim, you know, as, as you're talking, you, it's making me think about role models. Can you give us an idea? Like, who are your role models for authentic communications? Maybe people we would know or have have seen their TED Talk or or whatever. Like, who who communicates with that full force of authenticity? Wow. Good. What a good question. You have to share with me who you think who your answer is as well. <laughs> okay. 
I mean, um, to me, to me, I think it depends on the mode that people are speaking in. Because a name yeah. that comes to mind, one of my favorites in certain settings that would answer this is Barack Obama. Oh yeah. If he's reading a scripted speech, that is different than if he's in a town hall or just in an interview or conversation with somebody and it's happening in real time. I think you see the vulnerability in both because he can convey that, uh, the vulnerability or the the authenticity in both settings. But in those off the cuff moments, that's where you see, I think that's where you see it really shine with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. You, he doesn't He doesn't put all the walls up, right? Sometimes he starts talking before he's thought it through. Um, we talk a lot about this in, in workshops that we do. Ruby and I just did a, a, a disc workshop in, in the last couple of weeks. And, you know, we talk about, Folks on the top half of the disc model, um, the D's and I's, they tend to think by talking, so they they think out loud. And C's and S's on the bottom half of the model tend to think before they talk. So it tends to be more measured, more metered, and more withheld, right? So, <laughs> and people like Barack Obama, politicians and the like, I mean, not, not a lot of people holding back, right? They tend to be folks that lean into their opportunities to communicate. Um, so yeah, I totally get that one for me, um, is, you know, we, we refer to her as our Lord and savior, Brene Brown, um, (laughs) who, you know, her, her research is in the area of shame and vulnerability. And at one point in time, I don't know if this statistic is still true. She had the most watched Ted talk in the history of Ted talks. And, um, that was actually my first exposure to her, whatever that was eight, 10 years ago. Um, and it just blew my mind because she said things about her own experience mm-hmm. that did not go well for her. Mm-hmm. And she leveraged that into how that made her who she is today. And it just kind of blew my mind. Every time I've seen her speak, she, despite her success, has not changed her approach, right? She's the same you know, 100% all chips in person that I recall from that first video. What would you say, Lori? Who would you add to that list? Because so, Ruby just said Brene in the chat. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm actually thinking about, um, it, I think what you said, Tim, right? It kind of depends on the mode of where they where they are and what, what they're talking about. Um, but I'm actually fortunate to to work for a CEO who is a very authentic communicator. And um, he actually, um, he was leading a session of other leaders with Vail Resorts. And so these were all of the sort of SVPs of that company, which are, you know, there's fairly sizable and they were all together for a leadership conference. And what he did at every break in the session is he would have one of those SVPs come up on stage and tell a story about their biggest failure at work Oof. about a time they completely blew it. And the whole point of him having them do that was to demonstrate vulnerability and that you can still be successful when you screw up real bad. I'm standing here as an SVP of this this big company. And so it was it was kind of modeling that vulnerability. And so I think he walks the talk and he actually created a, a space for other people to do that. And I think that's, you know, we talk about that a lot in terms of leadership. When you see the highest level leader behaving in certain ways, that yeah. that sets a tone and a model for the rest. So 
Amen. And if anybody wants to learn about Phil McKinney, May 2021 episode of The Corporate Bartender, (laughs) bringing innovation to your organization with Phil McKinney is a banger of an episode. That's right. That's right. So I feel very fortunate to work for a leader that demonstrates that. And that makes my job as chief people, you know, officer a a lot smoother. Yeah. I'm glad you pointed that out. And it made me think about somebody else I should shout out here and, and especially in HR. It is the former CHRO from LinkedIn and current CHRO at UKG. Her name is Pat Waters. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't checked her out, she is the same. She's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I got the opportunity to work with her earlier in my career and uh, working on her talk, which was about DEIB. Um, the belonging part was the part that really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. And the way she established it in her stage talks we're talking about stories of failure or moments where she didn't feel like she belonged. Yeah. And so she, yeah, that mm-hmm. resonates with me too. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. All right, Tim, you have a framework for coaching and we have a willing guinea pig here <laughs> to do some impromptu improvisational coaching using your framework. So I'm going to step back away from the mic and let you and Lori talk about this this authentic North star based coaching framework that you use. We're interested in how it works and we're looking to see how Lori does and if she makes it. And if I have to put cat videos in the middle of this one. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Okay. Lori, I appreciate you being willing to be coached live on a podcast. Hey, bring it on. Okay. The idea for the audience, the idea with this framework is it is a tool that helps people present, share ideas, get people on board, get people more connected, and it helps them speak to the audience's left and right brain, which I'll explain more about that as we go. So Lori, if you could come up with a priority or something that meets the criteria of you want to describe it through your communication to your team, your part of the business, Mm -hmm. something that's important, a priority that you want to get people on board with, what would it be? Sure. So, um, it is um, our mid-year assessment of our organizational objectives and key results coming up here at the end of the year. And uh, so OKRs, it's a it's a way that we organize as an organization and as well as at the team level to get people aligned in terms of you know priorities and, and that sort of thing. And pretty much everybody does not enjoy this at all. <laughs> This is the thing that is like pulling teeth to get people to, you know, be very thoughtful and write good objectives and think about the key results and be accountable and stay, you know, and so we're kind of at the assess the first half and write for the second half stage. And it's, um, it's, it's my responsibility to sort of herd the cats in that direction. Okay, good. So what I hear is the what here is it's OKRs and it's Mm -hmm. a painful process. Mm-hmm. People don't always want to buy in or they're not excited about it. Mm-hmm. A metaphor I just heard for you is in terms of getting this done right, it's like herding cats. <laughs> Any other metaphor that comes to mind for you about the process? Uh, pushing a rope up a hill. <laughs> Feel, feels like that at times. Okay. And let's uh, shift now to the why. Why is this important or why is this one of your top priorities? Mm-hmm. Um, so 
it's the the best way that we've found to, especially at a company level, to be clear about the the higher level objectives and priorities for the organization so that there's a way for people to feel alignment and feel line of sight for what they're doing. They don't necessarily cascade, but right, it keeps people in the right lane. Um, and then same at the team level. Um, the other piece of it that's a big why is it's built into how we calculate our bonuses. And so it's it's connected to our um, incentive bonus program. And let's now go to the, the second way we answer why, and I'll explain all this to the audience and to Lori in just a moment, but in terms of what we're doing, but tell me an example where you've seen this play out, particularly one where it's been messy or the example or the story you pick helps describe the problem or the pain point? Um, where it's played out successfully, like could, why, where it's met that criteria? Or it can that? either be that or where it was a unmitigated disaster. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay. either is fine. Of those. I mean, yeah, yeah. So, um, Okay, so one that, uh, how this, sorry, my dog is flipping out about something at the front door. Apologies if you can hear her. Not really. <laughs> okay, good. Um, so there was uh, several years ago when we had our company level OKRs. And at that point in time, we were not doing quarterly sort of business reviews of those. They were available for everyone to see. It was transparent in a tracking system. Um, and when it came to assessing our company achievement, we achieved at less than 100% based on the way the OKRs were written. And you would have thought that we had gone careening off into a ditch in terms of how it was received by the organization. How could it possibly be that we are not at 100% bonus achievement? And because people were surprised, they didn't know that we weren't on track for these things until we got to the assessment point. And then we said, nope, we weren't on track for those things. So huge lesson learned. You got to have quarter, you know, reviews. You got to bring transparency. You got to no surprise rule, especially when you're going to tie it to somebody's bank account. Excellent. That's a good story. And the last piece is how are you going to do this or how is the team going to roll this out? Mm -hmm. So we've been using this process for a while. Um, I think, I think where it's, it, we switch tools, which that always throws a, you know, wrench in the whole thing too, because people just finally learned a tool and then they got bought and so we couldn't use them anymore. So then I had to roll out a new tool. People love that. Uh, <laughs> so we at least did that in March. We're, we're kind of rolling with that. But the thing that I think needs to be emphasized at this mid-year point is we just did a lot of work around an, a sort of a new technology vision that's connected to our member companies. And we we want our OKRs to be in alignment with that, to, to be meaningful towards that. And so it, it needs more thought. We can't just kind of extend the same objectives we've had and add a few more key results to it. We need people to be really thoughtful about how do we how do we put accountability and align our objectives and how we measure ourselves against this new technology vision. So that's that's what needs to really be different about this kind of updating of the OKR's communication. And then the last piece is where do we start? 
what's next? Well, there's an all hands meeting tomorrow. <laughs> Tim, can you be available tomorrow? Yes. For the all hands meeting. Oh, we can meet offline and get ready for sharing this message. So there's well, an all hands tomorrow. What do you want everybody to take away? Yeah. So fortunately tomorrow is more of the, Hey guys, it's coming reminder. It's not the, now you're assigned to do these things and you have a deadline for it. It's more the reminder of, Hey, we're, we're coming up on year end. Um, you need to be thinking about at a team level, you know, making sure you're updating your progress on these things. You're going to need to do assessment of your individual contributors. And, and that's part of the bonus calculation. It's partly, you know, connected to their team OKRs. So tomorrow is more of the warm up of putting it back on people's radar. I would say in January is when there needs to be more detailed messaging about what the expectations are. Got it. Okay, Laurie, here's what we just did. I, I asked you, what is it? Why is it important? And how is it going to work? Mm -hmm. I asked you a few different times. And here's why, by the way, what, why and how are the biggest, the, the typical questions that are on every audience's mind, whether it's one on one communication, or whether it's you to a group, which will be the case tomorrow at all hands. <laughs> audiences are generally asking whether they realize it or not. What are you asking me to do? Why is this important to me or my team? Right. And then how do we do it? How does it work? Mm -hmm. And so if you can answer those questions while also giving left brain and right brain information, mm -hmm. you're doing as well as you can possibly do. Mm -hmm. So what you did is give me six different answers, three for each of the questions. So here, here it is. You gave me two answers for what is it, two answers for why, and two answers for how will it work. Half of them were left brain and half of them were right. So if I, if, if you and I had more time for the sake of the audience, I'm going to try to condense is like, here's what we would do tomorrow mm -hmm. at all hands. What I'd say to do is lead with why. Mm -hmm. So when, when it's your turn to take the microphone or take over the zoom, mm -hmm. I would lead with the story, which is the right brain way that we answer why we give an example or a story. So you led off with several years ago, we had this disaster, mm -hmm. <laughs> in other words, mm -hmm. where lots of people were surprised. And it did not go well. Yeah. What we learned there is this stuff really matters and we got to get out in front of it. Mm -hmm. So now to give the left brain why, we we this is tied to bonuses and we know that this is the best way to align teams and orgs. So leading with the two whys as part of your messaging story and then giving what's called the theory answer is the left brain answer to why. Yeah, yeah. Then, then pausing and describing the what. Here's what we're going to do. And that is, they all know it's the OKRs and here, here are they coming. Mm -hmm. You gave me a metaphor of kind of like pushing a rope up the hill. That's your experience with it. What I'd ask you to do if we had more time is come up with a metaphor for the audience. Yeah. Like, what is this like for them? And we don't have to do that right now, but that's where I'd push you. So here's the what, and here's the metaphor for what. Now we're giving them something left and right brain. We're giving something tactical, plus also something that's a little different to hang on to and remember. Mm -hmm. And then the last piece of your very brief message, if you want it to be brief, is here's the timeline. Here's how it's going to work. Mm -hmm. What you gave on the left brain answer were some steps. A procedure answer is what it's called. It's we're going to mm -hmm. start here. This is the first heads up. In January, we're going to get more detailed reports on ICs. And then here's the pace of rollout. That's how. And then the, the last step is the action, which is when I said, what's next? 
that's the last thing you leave them with. Mm -hmm. So really to summarize what we just did, Love you it. answered three really simple questions. And this is what I recommend people do at home that you could do this before your meetings, before mm -hmm. you step into the, the all hands is just ask yourself, what, it, what am I asking them to do? Why is this important to them? And how will this work for them? And if you can balance the left brain, which is the stuff that usually flows out when you answer those questions with a story or a metaphor yeah, or an action, great. that's the part people usually overlook. Now we're doing things really, really well. I love it. That's great. Wow. That's great. All right. I'll send the, I'll send the invoice. <laughs> there and you hopefully, go. <laughs> hopefully Eric, that, um, that we, this won't get put over with cat. Uh, <laughs> hopefully that was the audience got something out of that. I love that. I mean, like all effective frameworks, it's so simple. Yeah. And, you know, I was watching, taking notes, trying to pay attention. I didn't even know what was happening. So the reveal, when you took her through mm -hmm. what just happened, I was like, wow, that, that was, that was much more deep and meaningful than I expected it to be given the questions that you asked a, right. Right. And B, the responses that she gave you, right? I mean, the the idea that the questions were structured in such a way that she gave you the left and right brain answers to those questions. Right. Because, I mean, I'll let Lori talk about it, but just as a third-party observer, if you would have asked me, give me a left brain example of this, I would have been like, I don't know, I have no idea what to do or say. Um, but the way you pitched those questions, she just answered them, and it was... Mm -hmm effortless, super simple. But when you turned it around and fed back to her, okay, here's your layout, like here's your run of show for the all hands. I was like, wow, that totally makes sense. I wouldn't have led with that, but I'm a disc C, you know, INTJ <laughs> think before you talk kind of person. So to hear that the efficacy of leading with, with the why and mm -hmm. then and then backing that up and then doing the sort of left side right side examples in each of those segments super powerful wow yeah. i'm gonna step back Lori. what was your experience there you went through it yeah yeah so i love um it it was the structure of the questions right you don't know it when you're just being asked you don't know the structure of the questions is actually going to lead to this kind of you know the the content to then put into the framework right so so that was there was no um it's not intimidating like you said give me a left brain example of you know so um <laughs> so it was it was very easy to answer the questions and and to your point this is when you're asking questions about something that somebody's big objective high priority thing they're gonna know the answers mm -hmm. to those things so it's not like they are going to get frozen up on, well, I haven't really, well, maybe they might get frozen up on having thought <laughs> through it, which then you back up and do those things. But, um, but no, I loved it. And I liked um, kind of pulling out metaphors. I think that's super helpful. And because I, I, I think about that in terms of connecting with people sort of more emotionally. And a lot of times I use humor to, to try to do that mm -hmm. and try to kind of loosen people up a little so that they actually stop multitasking and listen to the things I'm saying. And so when you use terms like push a rope up a hill or, um, you know, it was a, you know, careening off into the ditch kind of <laughs> that, you know, that that's, that's maybe a little more attention getting, but I tend to always think about, okay, here's the data I need to convey 
And then if I have some extra time, I might think of how do I get their attention with the, the a story or the emotion and see how critical that is. Yeah. You know, yeah. Lori and Eric, what, what's interesting is my observation of Lori's communication is she's skilled. You're like, you're, you seem like a really skilled right brain communicator when you let yourself be. And I like the story came out. I was like, yes, that is the right story to tell. But that completely <laughs> works because it illustrates the whole why. Like, why, why are we talking about this right now? You did it all with one story and it came to you right away. Oh, nice. Cool. Love it. Yeah. Thanks. I love it. Well, <laughs> definitely want to open it up to questions because we're at the quarter to the hour mark. And, you know, like always, Ruby's taking a ton of notes. I know she's going to say something. So I'm going to remove these spotlights and uh, open it up to the floor. Come on. Well, Ruby. Tim, you're pretty amazing. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's just something for my own personal growth, sort of a statement that I'm playing with and I'm thinking about a lot in my own coaching journey and in my journey in this work that we do. And I use the term deep presence, which I'd also sort of correlate pretty heavily with authenticity is that deep presence um, unleashes authentic gifts. Mm. That's sort of something I'm playing with this year personally. And that wow. my, my say that. Ruby, say that my, again, please. Yeah. Uh, deep presence unleashes authentic gifts. Um, and that's my own personal journey and that I'm trying to really be deeply present and be grounded so that I can share my gifts. Um, and so I guess my question, what are some tools or some, some tactics? Maybe it's different for every person to get grounded because you use that word early on, right? Um, how do we get grounded so we can be authentic? What a good question. For those who struggle like confidence wise and that sort of thing. Yeah. Tell me a bit more. Cause I, I was going to go off in one direction until that last part you said. Oh, interesting. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> well, you do you, and then I'll follow up if I have something. Yeah. To be present, there's a yeah. concept that I learned from my executive coaching mentor yeah. and it's, it's yeah. uh, it's called orienting, and so that's where my mind was going with it. And yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I can see head nod. So maybe folks on the call know what that is. But if there's people listening, it's it's just we're in a world time and history where there's so many distractions and so many things that mm. take our focus away from being here, being present. And yeah. so the idea of orienting is just taking an action to center yourself physically. Mm-hmm. to where you are and it could be as simple as yeah. leaning into the chair and just feeling the armrest which is so strange mm-hmm. to say but or like going outside and taking a deep breath and smelling mm-hmm. the, the air or looking at the tree outside mm-hmm. and those mm-hmm. little things just recognizing what's around us i've found with me and the clients both myself and clients i work with that's been useful in staying and getting present when the world is sort of forcing us the other way mm-hmm. But Ruby, what did you mean? I might have missed. I might have misfired on. No, um, no, I love that. And um, the thing that I've noticed in myself that I have overcome more on my journey is that sometimes I do all the things and I get grounded and I'm shaky as hell, mm-hmm. and my presence is off. Okay. So I'm learning how to navigate that. But I wonder for people who really struggle, um, yeah, and it probably depends on the person. 
Yes, but it's so. But I, I know. Have you? Guess the question is like, have you worked with someone who gets sort of shaky, or, or who doesn't know who's going to show up that day? If that makes all sense. the time, all the time, super, yeah. super common. Yeah. Yes, and if we're yeah. talking about before you communicate at a meeting per se, like mm -hmm. you're going to go talk to the board or you're going to talk to the senior leadership team, and that gets yeah. you shaky. One, you're human. Most people, that's something that makes people feel uneasy. Mm -hmm. And so the ways that I, I recommend people dealing with that to get grounded is know where you're leading, know how you're going to start, because usually mm -hmm. the most nerve wracking part is just yeah. before you start yeah. and in those first yeah. 30 seconds. Yeah. And so sure. you, yeah. yeah. And so to use Lori's example that I, when we just sort of role-played through her all hands, yeah. she's got a great story that she can lead with. So if she's feeling jittery before she goes up to the all hands, what I would be coaching her to do is repeat the beginning of the story to yourself, say it in your head, mm -hmm. remind yourself that yeah. you feel really good about this story. Take a deep breath mm -hmm. and realize when you get through it, you probably are going to be normalized. Mm -hmm. Your heart rate will normalize a bit and then you'll be off and running. So it's about mm -hmm. really focusing on that beginning point. Mm -hmm. Another thing too, yeah. just bonus for anybody who has to get up and give a toast or a speech over the holiday season. <laughs> I think probably the most nerve wracking, nerve wracking public speaking situation I've ever had is when I was my brother's best man and I had to give the toast. Mm -hmm. And I, I found, I stumbled luckily into this, what I think is a universal truth of getting through nerves. And that is shift the spotlight off of yourself right away. Meaning what I did was have, luckily this came to me. I had a round of applause for the father of the bride or something like that. Somebody else, yeah. Yeah. you know, in the room it, mm -hmm. and you wouldn't do that in the board meeting, you know, round of applause for this person. <laughs> but what you might do is you might ask the audience a question and have them respond mm -hmm. to you because while it's off of you, you're normalizing. Mm -hmm. Oh, mm -hmm. That reminds me of uh, when we had Ben Whiting on the show, he, mm -hmm. uh, Ben's a, a coach and, and a public speaker, friend of ours, who started life as a street performing magician. Mm -hmm. And one of his hooks was you get somebody from the crowd to do the magic, right? So it shifts the focus from him to them. Mm -hmm. And they're the rock star, the superstar of that, you know, that moment in time that creates just vast buy in. From the people in the crowd mm -hmm. which that I makes was such a cool technique totally and i mm -hmm. just realized that that's another thing that i pull in it when i lead a team workshop in front of a bunch of people like 250 people or large groups the first thing i'll do after i get introduced is have the audience do something physically like raise your hand mm -hmm. or i'll say something goofy like you know show me wiggle your fingers for a second and and not just not just as a throwaway but i'll usually say something like show me how much you know about what's coming <laughs> zero mm -hmm. show me a zero if it's like you have no idea what's coming and show mm -hmm. me a 10 if you reviewed all my content to vet if i should be <laughs> the one here or not and yeah. just you know, yeah. just by having them do something right away i get to breathe for like five seconds while they're doing it they get some laughter usually. Mm -hmm. It just sort of changes the dynamic mm -hmm. a little bit. And I also think you can do that in serious, more serious settings too. You just change what the question mm -hmm. is. That's mm -hmm. great. The other thing I, I think of in terms of that prep, like how do you ground yourself or feel mm -hmm. kind of step into, I got this <laughs> mode. Um, I work a lot with um, 
a mentoring program and it's women in technology, right? Where usually we're the minority by a lot in any given room. <laughs> and so, mm -hmm. right, there's even more of that imposter syndrome that can come up mm -hmm. um, when you recognize that you're one of, you know, a hundred you're one woman in a room of a hundred men kind of thing. And something that somebody said once that I thought was really compelling was you wouldn't have been invited to speak if you didn't deserve to be there. And you have something to say that no one else has to say. So just own it, right? Just don't apologize for it. Don't worry about whether or not they're going to think that or not. Just know that you wouldn't have mm -hmm. been invited to be there if you didn't have something to say. And I thought that was such a cool, like, like, yeah, well, fuck yeah, I do too. Have something to yeah. say. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so almost bringing a little, yeah. like, not, not arrogance, but, but like, yeah, I deserve to be mm -hmm. here, you know? Yeah. Nicely said. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so Tim, if people want to learn more about you, about your offerings, about how to get coached on this framework, where do they go? My website is a good place to start. It's 40wattcoaching.com, 40wattcoaching.com. And then I also put out content on LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter X. And so you can check, check out any of those. I guess I need to start saying X instead. I of love Twitter. that it's Twitter X because yeah. I refuse to go all in on X anyway. I know. I just felt like I was taking too big of a leap to just say X. Maybe, maybe People I need to be like, what? You, you make adult movies? What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, I put out content about a few times a week, uh, videos or, or just different stuff, chop up different stuff like we talked about today. Anything that's new that I've been sharing with my clients, I try to push it out in small pieces as well. So you can find me on those social media platforms as well. What, what, are, what are your handles on those platforms? Yeah, it's at 40 Watt Coaching on Instagram or Twitter X. And then you can just look under my name, Tim Fortescue on LinkedIn, F-O-R-T-E-S-C-U-E. So I got to ask, why 40 watts instead of 60 or 100? <laughs> Such a good one. I, You know, <laughs> somebody somebody pointed out that, you know, that's the dimmest light bulb of all the options <laughs> is the 40. And I was like, and I see everyone. Get coached by Tim, the dim right bulb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was one of those things where it was like, well, I already trademarked the name and the domain. <laughs> but the real answer is my nickname is 40. If you take Fortescue is my last name. So if you oh, take off yeah. the last syllable, 40 is what people called me for years and years. They still do. My mm. family, our nickname is the 40 family. And so when I when I thought about starting my own business, I thought I want to do something authentic. I want to do something that's a little different. Maybe people aren't going to understand what it means. And the Watt idea came from, there's a, there's a music venue in Athens, Georgia, never been to it in my life, but I've heard of it. It's called the 40 Watt Club. Yep. And so some of the rock bands that I like have played there and it just hit me. I was like 40 Watt. Yeah. yeah. And then I realized I it's it. the dimmest bulb. <laughs> so, yeah. I love it. Well, 40s are what we drank in high school, so I'll never forget <laughs> And uh, for those music people that are listening uh, behind Tim, are three posters uh, from concerts, two Pearl Jam posters and a My Morning Jacket poster. So that gives you some indication into the type of tunes 
than 40 <laughs> digs. <laughs> and I my cropped here, but I'm wearing a t-shirt. I just realized this by a band called The Wigs from Athens, Georgia. Nice. Did not plan this. <laughs> right on. <laughs> and they did not pay him for this appearance. So no, awesome. Tim, thank you so much. This this has been fantastic. What a great conversation. Thanks for for being willing to jump out there. Uh, to you and Lori both for taking a risk on doing something live. Um, yeah. I thought that was super powerful. Um, I love the framework. So if you want to learn more, please find Tim at 40wattcoaching.com or at 40wattcoaching on your uh, social media networks of choice, Twitter, X, or Instagram. Um, we're going to get into our end of show cycle. We're going to do some funny things, a good feel story, and our goofy little cocktail all right, today's funny things. These are a collection of memes that I found entertaining and hopefully you will too. This one is work-related funny thing number one. If you're ever having a bad day, just remember, this guy found out he was dead and still going to work. <laughs> That's not something I want to have happen to me. Uh, funny thing number two, um, because I'm a Star Wars nerd, Another childhood star lost to drugs. No, <laughs> it's up on blocks. <laughs> <laughs> One of my friends sent me this and it's so stupid, but you know, I figure some of you will enjoy this. Did you know that if you hold a squirrel up to your ear, you can hear what it's like to be attacked by a squirrel? <laughs> uh, Ruby and I are cat people, and I know some of our audience are dog people. This is for the dog people. 911, what's your emergency? Dog, my owner's been gone for 0 0.2 seconds. 911, have you tried eating the couch? <laughs> and because we're nearing the end of the year, this funny thing made me laugh because I think we've all made this face. When it's December 31st and someone says, see you next year. <laughs> but my favorite funny thing holiday related it's it's about the christmas tree and if you remember there's an episode of friends where monica who is pretty anal retentive is letting people decorate the tree and ross is surprised that this is happening and then she turns the tree around and she let people decorate half the tree and it's a disaster and she decorated the other half of the tree and it's immaculate. And that's what this picture makes me think of. <laughs> so front of the Christmas tree is Adam Levine with his shirt off, which I know, I know that's a, a that's a member of several laminated cards of this audience. Um, and then the back of the tree is decidedly not Adam Levine. <laughs> I'm trying to place the other guy. Is that the guy from the Tiger King? It might well be. It might oh, well be. Not yes, the, if you're I listening on audio, is. not the main guy, but one of the side characters who has a yeah. bunch of tattoos. Oh, that's funny. He has tattoos yeah. and missing teeth. So yes. yes. <laughs> After picture, not a before. So yeah, not Adam Levine for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Today's good feel story. Steve Hartman's going to talk about a guy who wanted to become a pilot. Hmm. Finally tonight, CBS's Steve Hartman goes on the road with a story about dreams, resilience, and never taking no for an answer. Although born without hands or feet, 
25-year-old Zach Anglin says the only limbs he ever longed for were wings. Mm. Always wanted to be a pilot. Unfortunately, no quad amputee had ever become a commercial pilot. Obviously, nothing worth having comes easy. From the time he was born, he was a disciplined and determined child. Adoptive parents Harold and Patty say there was no talking him out of it. So when Zach turned 18, he applied to a flight school that said no. There's nothing we can really do for you. We're sorry. The second one said the same. Like, here we go again. As did the third. The same response. And so it went more than a dozen times over. You're not hearing what they're saying. I'm not. Selective hearing. <laughs> My wife will tell you I'm a little bit hard-headed. <laughs> Which is why this hard-headed husband and soft-hearted father applied to one more school. The Spartan College of Aeronautics in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They said yes, although Zach's struggle was just getting started. He still needed approval from the Federal Aviation Administration to take the lessons, but the FAA repeatedly, and in no uncertain terms, denied his request. And after the fifth rejection letter, Zach finally gave up. I was like, this is not for me. I, this is impossible to do. And so my mom was over my shoulder at this point, right? And then she's like, you're not done yet. Mm -hmm. I said, you can never succeed until you've learned to fail. And Patty says her son obviously hadn't failed enough. So Zach kept at it until finally they cleared him for one takeoff. And when Zach was given the opportunity to show his potential, it became clear as blue sky that you don't need hands to have wings. Zach graduated from flight school a few years ago and now teaches the same course so many told him he couldn't even take. Why do people need to hear this? Because my story isn't just for amputees. We all go through trials and tribulations. The word impossible is an illusion behind the word possible. And failure just the turbulence <laughs> on your journey. Steve Hartman on the road in Tulsa. Every right. week, Steve. <laughs> Every <laughs> week. I love it. We Today's have a pilot. I was going to say, we have a pilot who is missing <laughs> a whole bunch of fingers. Really? Yeah. yeah. He, he was wow. in a cockpit fire. He landed oh, the plane wow. and survived. He cannot, he's not certified for Boeing, but he is certified for Airbus, which is what we fly, because it doesn't use a steering wheel, it uses a joystick. Hey. Um, so Tim, Lori works for Frontier Airlines, so. I got it. Okay. Today's uh, semi-quarantine cocktail is the Santa Cosmopolitan, which uh, coincidentally was also the name of the signature cocktail from the Cable Labs Halloween, or Halloween, Cable Labs holiday party. <laughs> Um, so it's a riff on that. You're going to need a little bit of vodka. Well, it's a uh, Santa con time in NYC yet again, a little bit of cranberry juice. Uh, it, for those of you that don't know, Santa con is a booze fueled bar crawl that starts at 10 AM in New York city, a little triple sack revelers work their way from midtown down to the East village. You're going to need a little lime juice. It ends at 8 PM. And I said, because <laughs> if you've been drinking since 10, you're not done at 8 p.m.
<laughs> Fresh cranberries. What could go wrong? Here's what it looks like for those of you that have never seen a photo of SantaCon. Everybody dresses up as Santa or Santa adjacent characters and they drink their way from Midtown to the bottom of the island. And I think that's fantastic. I think you guys are fantastic. Thanks for being here. Thanks to Tim Fortescue. Everybody have a fantastic weekend. It's dinner time. Let's go have some dinner. Take care, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you had a good time and learned a thing or two at today's happy hour, please share it with your friends. If you want to join our tribe, head on over to skyteam.cloud forward slash TCB or email us at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again. And remember, you've always got friends at the Corporate Bartender.